Hi, and welcome to the State of Shakespeare. Today on the program, we have Brian Dykstra. Brian Dykstra has a very interesting project coming up called Polishing Shakespeare. Welcome, Brian. Thank you very much. Good to be here. Yeah. He's an actor who has just recently played King John down at the Folger Theater in uh, D.C. And how was that? It was spectacular. Oh, that's and awesome. Not the play that you expect that you're going to ever do for a second time. <laughs> You've done it twice now? Yeah, I, I may be one of the few actors in the world. But um, Aaron Posner directed it really, oh. really smartly. And I mean, I was in it, so it's hard to say. But people who blame themselves for not knowing Shakespeare were like, I understood everything. Like, yeah. yeah, that's what he does. Yep, that, that is what he does. That With that and Chekhov, right? That's awesome. Just looking at what you're doing, it's called Polishing Shakespeare, yes? Uh-huh. And is it in any way a reaction to the Play On Project at Oregon? It is only a reaction to the Play On Project at Oregon. <laughs> now, you know we've interviewed two of the authors. I did not know that. Yes. Aditi Kapil and Elise Theron. Interesting conversations, because as you can imagine, I'm a little bit skeptical. Have you seen any? I have not. Have you? Doing, I have seen two okay. down at CSC. They're doing the whole canon this week or this month. Oh, wow. You didn't know that. No, I didn't. See, here's the weird thing. I tell people about this and they're like, oh, really? I haven't heard. I'm like, okay, so if they're not marketing to us, I, you know, I go there and I see the audience and they're sitting around watching and I don't recognize anybody. <laughs> it's first time Shakespeare people. It, well, I guess it is. You know who you ought to interview is the guy who put the money up. Yes, that that would be very interesting. I was with him yesterday. I am going to see Much Ado in the Park today with him. He is absolutely willing to have any conversation you want to have. Now, he's going to defend his thesis right. forever <laughs> because I think he would be absolutely willing to do this. That's fantastic. <laughs> well, there are a lot of people who do not like it. Oh, oh I know. <laughs> I mean, the, good th the great thing about talking to him is he's like, yeah, I'm – he understands he's the villain with a number of people. Right. I have to say that going into the interviews with these two ladies, which were done like within days of each other, I was very skeptical. And they, while they didn't win me over, they definitely like put me at ease a little bit. Mm -hmm. Because they aren't really, they're not rewriting it. Right. It they're was, not rewriting it. They're trying to maintain as much of the Shakespeare as exists and then fix the stuff that's too confusing to follow. The weird thing is they're not cutting. Right. And they're, so, they're more like replacing. Yeah. <laughs> the thing that jars you is when they replace something famous. Right. And you're like, I can't not hear what I already know is there. I mean, you know, everyone knows to be or not to be or wherefore Arthur Romeo, but not everybody knows. She has misused me past the endurance of a block. There was a there was an exchange in um, Taming of the Shrew where they're in the, the wooing scene. You know, should be, should buzz, didn't yeah. happen the way you what? expected it. Well, because they had to explain that one. They did? The joint. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't. To, they felt that they needed to explain that to some people. Oh, no. It seems uh, so famous. You're just like, I'm jarred. But most of the time, it just sort of goes by. For me, it's somewhere between the no fear Shakespeare, which is abhorrent, mm -hmm. and Shakespeare, which is brilliant. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about Polishing Shakespeare. Well, Polishing Shakespeare was a reaction to the early press for the, um, the Shakespeare project that Oregon Shakespeare Festival, I guess, started. They're no longer directly involved, although I don't know how that, I don't know the politics is working. It's called um, Play On, right? It's called Play On Now. 
But when I first heard of it, it just was the announcement. We didn't really know where the money was coming from. And nobody outside of the project seemed to know what the parameters were. I mean, they described something called translations. This got backlash. Um, I remember thinking they can't really mean translation. They really mean adaptation. It turns out they didn't. They, they mean translation. Translating English to English. Well, <laughs> they would argue translating Elizabethan English, which to some of their followers is a foreign language. Mm. Um, yeah, well, I'm just... I'm not, I'm <laughs> a point of view that I don't share, so it's, not, it's, it's a little difficult. But, I, but uh, about six, maybe months after that thing was announced, Hamilton Clancy, who runs Shakespeare in the parking lot, was commissioned by Bryant Park people to supply three 30-minute plays commemorating the 400th anniversary of Shakespeare's death. He asked me to write one of them. And I start and I put a playwright, an artistic director and a major donor in a room pitching this project to the playwright, trying to draft this young playwright into writing uh, one of the plays. And I decided to write it in iambic pentameter because my sense was that they weren't asking the playwrights to necessarily stick to the meter, which felt like a mistake. I've since learned that most of them sort of have preserved some sort of yes. meter in the, in the verse. But... I didn't know it at the time. So the, the arguments that came to me were what seems to be the arguments. As, as I'm talking to some of the people that play on, I'm hearing things from my play coming out of their mouths, defended slightly differently, but not always. Uh, You're prescient. Well, I mean, you just sort of put yourself there and figure out what the needs would be. And it seems like like, you know, you, you catch some things. What I didn't know was that they weren't going to adapt. So so in my play, we sort of have a play within a play where she's adapted so much. The argument is, do we even recognize this as the source from the source material? Right. That's not the case with play on. But but they were just the seed of the play. What were the arguments that you created? You mean their arguments? Yes. That well, they talked about how every every new generation gets a new Moliere and a new Chekhov. And Shakespeare is sort of suffers by being frozen. And the access to the poetry becomes more clouded the longer we go. So they, they won't argue that they're helping Shakespeare. They'll argue that they're helping the audience understand Shakespeare in the same way that you can choose your favorite Moliere translation, or you can take a couple of them and put them together. In that way, they are, they are assisting with, with Shakespeare. <laughs> yes, you sound skeptical. <laughs> it's not my argument. I, you know, I, I would say back, you, never, you wouldn't do that with, with Byron or Shelley or Keats. Wordsworth. Yeah, you just wouldn't. But I think the answer I've heard back was people do. With poetry, oh. I'm like okay, but I've not seen that. Yeah, and the other weird thing is we do this. You know, when you're in production and you come across a passage that is impossible, you either cut it, which is the most normal thing that we do mm -hmm. in production, or we figure out there was a word in King John. I can't remember the word, but it meant exactly the opposite of what the word means today. It's like an exact opposite meaning. So we're staring at it. And at one point, somebody threw out a synonym, and we threw out another synonym, and we found a synonym that scanned, and we're like, how's that? And we, that's and, what we made. And you did it. And we did it. Right. So, well, I have an interesting question. King John was directed by Aaron Posner, 
And he's known for some uh, adaptations of Chekhov. Did you have a conversation with Aaron about this project? I did not. Because I would be interested to hear his take on it since he does do adaptations of classical plays. Right. We had a reading there for the artistic director of the Folger and a couple other people. And I invited Aaron, but he was in rehearsal for something else at some other theater. And so he, he couldn't come. But he does really broad adaptations. And, and this is a different animal. Like, like when they announced it, we thought, oh, they're going to be we're going to get 37 translations of, or adaptations of some interesting takes on on these plays. And that's just not what they want. It seems, I mean, I remember talking to um, the two playwrights from Play On who were adapting, and they were saying, you know, the, the places that they were really focused on were the archaisms, mm-hmm. like those things that, you know, basically any clown that comes out and talks and makes jokes that you have no idea. And I can't, I mean, I don't even know where to begin with that because some of the humor is topical, right? Yeah, that's their argument. Like, if you, I played Pompey once, and there's a scene outside the jail where Pompey has this in Measure for Measure, where Pompey has this monologue that's designed to get laughs, and everything is a topical reference that nobody will ever get unless they've been studying, you know, Elizabethan England in depth for 40 years. Right. I remember saying to the director, what are we doing here? And he said, well, you need to get laughs. I'm like, (laughs) with what? So I understand why people grab their crotches and use breadsticks for phalluses, but perhaps there's a better way. Right. And I mean, to me, you like, you cut the speech. You don't rewrite it, but I guess you could rewrite it, but then then they don't want, well, I can't get into their um, rules because I don't really understand them all that well. There's something about not using topical references. Now? Yeah, because when I did it, they were they were definitely alluding to current events. I think that's allowed, but discouraged in the in the way that I've read their mission. And you've had conversations with the donor, the chief donor of this whole project, and what has he said? Oh, he he says, look, I go to see Shakespeare. I don't understand it. I get frustrated. I love the part that I love. Uh, I spend so much time researching before the show what I'm about to see that when I see a comedy, I'm I'm in study mode. And so I don't really understand the humor because that's an emotional response. I mean, he, he says he says things that he was representing an audience, a, a large section of the audience that blames themselves for not understanding Shakespeare. You know, they'll go and they'll see some stuff and they'll go, oh, well, I, I don't really get Shakespeare. And, and they don't really blame the production director or the or the actors that are that are often <laughs> the verse with some sort of behavior that just ends up getting in the way. I mean, if you're going to spend this kind of money on a project and you want to help Shakespeare, then teach a bunch of actors how to read the text. And then so they can identify the scansion and the meter and the verse and what Shakespeare intended and then decide I'm going to do it the way he wants me to do it. Or I'm going to choose not to rather than, Re- rewrite it and so polishing shakespeare is it a full-length play or is it a yeah it i mean there's no intermission but it's about 90 i mean we read it the other day with some actors who ended up being about 95 minutes probably shorter than that but not a ton three scenes takes place either in the artistic directors of a major regional theater in the pacific northwest office <laughs> or 
in the theatrical version of The Office. So they are, we see the play that she's written and she's set it in this office. So then the actors become the characters and then, I mean, the, the characters become the characters that their characters are based on. <laughs> okay. I'm confused. How I mean to say that? <laughs> yeah. So it's a play within a play. And then, and then it reverts back to the office. So, you know, it's, it's simple, simple set with three actors and right. dynamic pentameter. Excellent. And more rhyme than Shakespeare. So it does kind of echo. It's a little Molierian as we get into the play within the play. She allows the language to get more flowery than they would like. So some rhyming couplets. And some internal rhymes that really just go. And, you know, part of the talk back we had the other day was was there's a fear that maybe the language is getting too self-consciously clever. So I'm actually looking at that right now. Gotcha. Do you have any a little snippet to read? Yeah. Awesome. Do you want to give us a little lead into what's going on? I guess I should. The, the first scene, they're talking the, the um, playwright into taking the job. And she's arguing that Shakespeare doesn't need the help. So it's at some point she begins to argue that it's the productions that are obfuscating the truth or the, the clarity rather than the writing. So she argues this argument. Let's see if I can even do it well. <laughs> I used to think the setting Caesar on the moon or plying Romy with guns or lasers, dressing Cleopatra in saran or tin, aluminum or steel was something simply dumb. But the place survived. I always thought the place production proof. There's always going to be another show, a Hamlet or Othello, Twelfth Night, or As You Like It coming down the pike. But As You Like It set in Cactus Patch? Of the Wild West with Beatrice to mess with Benedict in native dress or some director's concept clouding up with dense, confusing choices, keeping meaning way too thick to penetrate? But Shakespeare, he, I always thought, could take it. Now I'm not so sure. If pseudo-avant-garde directors just confuse the viewers, convincing us the issue is the writer, not their odd and awful concept syncing the production with elements impenetrable to an audience, then all those show-off choices have done a grave disservice. It's not the plays. The plays are great. It's just that no one does the plays. They do some version of the play with ghosts, slow motion, walking on the stage where none existed in the text, or what, a giant stack of gold or gilded chairs scattered on smoky battlefields where none existed. Henry V is just another oily politician scheming to succeed. A cymbeline atop a flying chair, Hermione trapezing through the air, a multiple of Hamlet's father's ghost all dressed in armor, two in tutus, what? Cordelia, suspended in the flies, dropping from the skies, slammed down on solid ground. A giant slide in Central Park with movie stars to play Sir Toby and Malvolio, but haven't got a clue reciting lines of dialogue with secret meaning, hiding in the poetry, just waiting to be found. Mechanicals all buried in a mound. A Caliban who never makes a sound. The daughters of King Lear whose feet are bound. A Twelfth Night cast, but six of them have drowned. A Richard III who floats above the ground, a Scottish king so fat that he looks round and somehow in that play a witch is crowned, a sprite in fairy wings and Nike shoes, a dream that never hints midsummer nights and flights of fancy unintended by the mind or pen or text or thought or eye of any poet. So perhaps the fault is not the writing. God, how could it be? Just do the play. The play. Let's do the play. Oh, my God, that's brilliant. I love it. There's two things. First of all, there's a little bit of um, slam poetry feel to it. Yes, that's my background as well. I'm an HB deaf poet. So, yes, 
But I mean, there's a there's a slam poetry quality to Shakespeare oh, as well, without a doubt. That's where it yeah. started, right? And then I think there might be some references in the productions noted to actual productions that have occurred in the recent times. Almost everything is something I've seen. Well, that I mean, that is fantastic. That is a great thing. Is the whole polishing Shakespeare in that kind of feeling of the rhyming and the slam poetry, all that kind of stuff? I would say there are this section. I mean, there are there are later sections that it really goes wild. <laughs> but but you know, it, the, the job is to sound like people, human beings speaking, right? And height. So there's no prose in it. It's all verse. It's all in iambic. But some of it sounds a lot like dialogue. And I want the details. July 1st, Mm -hmm. it's being produced by the Resident Acting Company. The Resident Acting Company. And it's being done at the Players Theater? The Players Club at Gramercy Park. Okay. $35 a ticket, but they are raising money to... This is the Pearl that has dissolved. Right. And now the actors from the Pearl are trying to land on their feet. And it looks... In fact, last night they did Shakespeare's Sonnets. I I think it went well. Mm Mm-hmm. A month ago, they did Cherry Orchard, and they seem to get a dedicated audience that come and support them. And is there a production in the future of this, or there's nothing scheduled? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it just sort of blossomed. I haven't really sent. I mean, I did talk to an artistic director of a major Shakespeare theater who said, "I love it. I can't do it." I said, why can't you do it? She said, I can't do it because I know those people. Uh, I know who you're writing about. And, and that's, I don't, she didn't continue. That was all she said, but I assume she meant that would be awkward right. in, uh, in, in future. Somebody else said, look, you need to find the, the smaller theater companies in every town that share a town with a Shakespeare company right. and they'll do it because they can take the piss out of not only the translation project, but the big brother and, you know, the, the Bigfoot in town. So, I mean, because it seems like it's not a popular project for most people who produce Shakespeare because they've been producing Shakespeare all their lives and don't feel like he needs help. Here's my idea. You're going to see uh, Shakespeare in the Park tonight with the guy who raised the money or is giving the money for this? Challenge him. Well, he's coming to the reading on the 1st and will be part of the panel discussion afterwards. Oh, that's fantastic. So he's really, uh, he's going with his eyes open. He understands that, that the play doesn't celebrate this project. So um, he's been a really good sport so far. I mean, sure, I'll challenge him to what, produce it? Yeah. He'll have to see it first. Yeah. <laughs> he, he might decide, eh, not my flavor, but we'll see. Okay. I'm, I actually, from what I know of him, he seems like a guy who will actually enjoy the fact that he, this project has inspired something he never thought it would. Yeah. He does, he is a theater lover, so he's already kind of titillated that this play exists in a way that I don't feel like some other people there are. Right. Good for him, then. Yeah. I mean, it's been an interesting, you know, I, I'm, I go in there really suspicious that there's, I'm going to get hit with some suspicion, but he's very warm. You know, the one thing he said that I found sort of, I couldn't defend it, but it's interesting point of view. He said, look, Chaucer is dead. We know we can't, and we're getting further and further away from Shakespeare. So we need to start preserving this playwright. And I don't agree, but if if you're actually worried that in 200 years, we'll be so far away from Elizabethan English that we can't produce unproducible, 
I mean, I, English is not going to change that radically. Well, he, he would argue it's changed that radically since Chaucer. So the same amount of time goes by from Chaucer to now, goes by from Shakespeare to then. His thesis is, what are we going to do? We're going to have these plays that scholars read in, in rooms and write notes about, and that, that'll be that. Right. I, I don't think I... I mean, it feels to me like Chaucer was almost as foreign to Shakespeare's audience as it is to us now. I would agree. That was really, really thick. You can argue this. Chaucer was written before the English language was fully developed. You can argue that. <laughs> and Shakespeare was not. And Shakespeare, in mm -hmm. fact, basically developing. I mean, he developed it. So what mm -hmm. we say right now is a lot based on Shakespeare. Personally, I see this, and actually this would be a good thing, I see this play on project replacing the No Fear Shakespeare. Yeah, that's, I've heard that from a number of people, and that, would, that, that is a good thing. Because, I mean, it's to be in a first rehearsal and look around and have two or three of the cast members with their No Fear Shakespeare hidden under the deck. And you're like, that's too, you're, you're doing your research too late. Yeah. <laughs> a, too late. B, wrong material. Yeah, and you went to the wrong place, in my opinion. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. This was a delight, and good luck with the right. reading. Thank you very much. I'll let you know how it goes. Yeah, and thank you for taking the time to talk to the state of Shakespeare. What am I doing? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, Brian. All right. Thank you. Yep.